We've been studying the Lord's Prayer, uh, starting back in Matthew 6, verse 5, and going through verse 15. And so far, we've learned in our study about eight to nine different principles that Jesus gave us on how to pray. And by the way, if you've missed those uh, first several uh, messages that we did, you can go online and look those up. You can get those there, the messages, the outlines, or you can order a CD or DVD in the back if you'd like to catch up with that. But last time, we noticed as we studied the Lord's Prayer that there's a transition that begins to take place in the prayer. There, it kind of starts with a focus on God and who He is, and then it kind of comes to more of a place of talking about us and our needs and our requests and bringing those to the Lord. So that second section is where we're going to pick up today with that section that kind of focuses more on what God wants to do in our life. So I want to start by reading the whole prayer first, and then we're going to come back to verses 12 through 15 and study that together tonight. Starting back in verse 5, just reviewing what we've learned, Jesus talking about when he begins his teaching on prayer here in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. Don't be pretending. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father sees or knows what you need before you ask Him. Then he starts with the prayer in verse 9. He says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And picking up where we're going to study tonight, he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Then he says, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Jesus says, starting in verse 12, he he talks about forgiving us our debts. He talks about us forgiving others. He talks about leading us into temptation. And that's, those are the verses that we're going to focus on tonight in Matthew 6. And we're actually going to pick up with a couple of verses in Luke chapter 11. So if you want to kind of mark that in your Bible, you can do that. But first of all, let's focus on verse 12. Jesus tells us when we pray that we should pray repentantly. <clears throat> we should pray with a repentant attitude. Jesus says we should pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That word forgive means to send away from us our debts. Jesus says, we're to pray, God, would you please send my debts away from me? And everybody says, amen, right? (laughs) Would you please send my debts away from me? Here's the idea. I was once in my sins and separated from God, but now I am in God and praise the Lord, separated from my sins. Amen? Isn't that a great turnaround? I am no longer identified by the things that I have done wrong. Those things in Christ have been sent away from me. He says, do that. He says, Lord, forgive us for what? He says, forgive us for what we owe. 
And the reason we laughed about that when we first heard that is because that sounds kind of like what? Financial, doesn't it? God forgive us, and we all wish that somebody would forgive us for what we owe. But it actually means much more than that. The word means anything that we owe to another. Here specifically, it's talking about anything that we owe to who? God forgive us our debts. Our debts to who? Our debts to God, doesn't it? Now, verses 14 through 15 below in the parallel passage that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 11, verse 4, show us that that word debt that he's using is actually just another way of saying what? It's sin. He's saying, God, forgive us our debts. Forgive us what we owe. Forgive us what we owe you. What we owe God is that we all have committed sin. We've all done things that God said he didn't want for our life. So Jesus says, when we come before God, there should be an awareness. Now, here's the point. When I'm coming before God, there should be an awareness that I am a sinner. God, as I spend time in your presence, as I, as I begin to focus on you, which is what we've done in this prayer, and we've talked about it, is a great way to start your prayer, focusing on God. As I focus on God, as I think more and more about him, I begin to realize more and more who I am. And I begin to realize, I say, okay, this is who God is, and this is how unlike him I am. I've done a lot of things that were not what God had for my life. And God, I ask you to forgive me for that. It's basically a heart. When we come to God in prayer, it's God, I want everything that's not right between me and you to be made right in my life. Now, as we bring this up, I feel like we need to clarify something that many people get confused about and many times ask me about forgiveness. And I think maybe the best way to explain it to you is by giving you an analogy. All right, when I go home tonight, if I, if I shared with my kids, if you said to your kids, if I shared with them, if I told my kids this morning, okay, I want you to clean your room. I didn't share that with them, all right? I, if I told them, I want you to clean your room by the end of the day today, all right? When I get home tonight, if that room's not clean, am I going to say, you're out, you're out of the family? Get out. I need you to evacuate the house. Now, sometimes, sometimes I may feel like saying that, but that's absurd, isn't it? Just because something's not right in your relationship, in your family, doesn't mean you get rid of those kids, right? But now, the fact of the matter is, there are some things that need to be made right, okay? It doesn't cause the relationship to cease, but it causes problems in the, in the kind of relationship, the closeness that we can have. Does that make sense to you? So here's what I want us to understand. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, once you're, there's different ways of expressing that. The Bible talks about being born again. The Bible talks, you know, about being saved, about being rescued from our sins. The Bible talks about becoming a child of God. However you express that, once you become a child of God, listen, friends, many people are confused about this. Once you become a child of God, you do not have to ask him, continue to ask him, can I please be a part of your family? You understand that? Okay, what if I went home tonight and my kids were in trouble? I said, guys, you didn't do what I asked you to do. And they said, Dad, please, can we be in the family? I'd say, guys, where'd that come from, right? What are you you talking about? Sure, you're in the family. We don't have to discuss that. You were born, weren't you? You got our name, don't you? No, don't worry about that, amen? If you are truly a child of God, if you've been saved, you are in never to be out again. That should be an amen. 
All right, thank you. John chapter 10, verse 27. Let me give you several verses here so you can go back and kind of chew on them. Matthew, uh, John 10, verse 27. Jesus, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. How long does eternity last? Eternal life is kind of like what? Forever, isn't it? It's never ending. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and jesus actually puts that in the strongest possible way that he can make that a negative it is not possible for them to ever be separated from me ever again isn't that cool and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand i and the father are one Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Jesus said, or the, God's word says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? What could possibly keep me from God's love for me that I found in Christ? He says, uh, will tribulation, will hard times, will distress, will persecution, will famine, will nakedness or peril or sword? And then he says in verse 36, basically summarize, he says, no, you know, the Bible says we are put through a lot in this world. There's a lot of difficulty that we face. But in verse 37, he says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. It's not even close, guys. No matter what you go through in your life, you never have to. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you have depended upon him for your salvation, for your forgiveness, you've been reconciled with God and you don't, no matter what is happening in your life, you never again have to worry. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, Jesus says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever desert you. Over and over again, it's emphasized in the Bible. Let me give you one more. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 22. The Bible says, that God has sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Now, what it says is when you accept Christ as your Savior, you are sealed by the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives in your heart. Now, don't miss this. It's a cool, it's a cool picture that God gives us here in His Word. He says, I've given you my Spirit as a down payment. Okay? And the word that He used there was a word that meant a first installment on a, on a payment that guaranteed, it was a pledge, it was an earnest payment that was basically saying, when I make this first payment, I'm going to make all the payments. Okay? So don't miss the picture there. Have we received the full benefit of our salvation in Christ? I hadn't. (laughs) I mean, I got some more I want, amen? I want to go to heaven, amen? God has promised me that I will receive all of that, but I haven't received all the benefits of my salvation, amen? I won't get that till I go to heaven. But he says, the Spirit of God living in your heart, and if you are a child of God, he affirms that in your heart. I'm in you. <laughs> he does, doesn't he? He works in your heart. He speaks to your heart. He guides your life. He teaches you. He, guide, he, he does his, God's work in our hearts. That Spirit of God in your heart is testimony that you are a child of God, and what God started in you, he will finish. So we need to be clear on that. However, in that relationship, is it not true that sometimes things are not right? Isn't that true? I have a secure relationship with God, but sometimes things aren't quite what they should be between me and my Lord. Amen? Anybody? And so what this prayer teaches us 
is not that I've got to be resaved or reforgiven or reborn or, or brought back into God's family. That's not what it's teaching. When we're asking God to forgive us, we're asking him, God, is there anything between me and you? Is there anything that's blocking the flow? Is there anything that's, that's hurting our connection, our relationship? If there is anything like that, Lord, help me to turn that over to you, to turn from that, and God, come and cleanse that in my heart. I don't want that. In fact, the Bible talks about that in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, if we acknowledge what we've done wrong, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what that's talking about. As a child of God, we should come to God regularly and say, God, thank you that I'm secure in you. But Lord, I know that, that there's things in my life that shouldn't be, and I ask you to clean those things up. Would you forgive me? Get it? Got it? Good. All right. All right. Then Jesus throws in something at the end of verse 12. He says, while you're asking God to forgive you or to release you or to separate you from your sins, you're also committing to do that for other people. Now, if you struggle with that, and you will, don't we? I don't know about you, but I've had some people do some pretty rotten things to me. And I'm not happy about it. I struggle with that. Don't you? Okay. But God says, apparently, while I'm asking him to have mercy on me, then I need to be willing to have that same kind of attitude with people who've done me wrong. One of the best passages in the Bible for that, right down Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. <clears throat> Basically, what the Bible teaches in Matthew 18 is that the only way, friends, listen, God is not minimizing what's happened in your life. He's not saying, oh, that doesn't count, or oh, that doesn't matter. What God is saying is, ultimately in my life, whatever has happened between me and other people, when I begin to look at Jesus Christ, when I begin to look at what I've done against him, and I compare that with what others have done against me, I begin to learn that what I've done against God is much worse than anybody could ever do against me. And if God could forgive me for that then I need to be willing to forgive other people. So this principle in this verse reminds us to consider when you're talking with the Lord, write this down or, or, or make this note, when you're talking with the Lord, you need to be thinking, is there anything between me and God that I need to deal with? Okay, God, is there anything not right in our relationship? And as I'm doing that, God, is there anything that I have between myself and anybody else that I need to deal with? Now, before we move on from that, I want to mention verses 14 and 15 because those verses have confused a lot of people. But I'll just try to summarize very simply what I think they're saying. We said it's very difficult sometimes to forgive other people, isn't it? For what they've done against us. But if you and I are not willing to forgive other people... It's not that we would lose our salvation. Remember, we've already talked about that, right? There's nothing we can ever do. If we're truly a child of God, there's nothing I can ever do to lose that. That's not what it is. However, it may very well be that if I am not willing to forgive someone else of something that's much less than what God's forgiven me for, it might be that I've never experienced the life-changing power of God. That's a serious thing, isn't it? 
We could talk more about that, but that would really take a whole message. You know, let God speak to your heart about that. And my heart goes out to you if you had something, because we all have them. And I just ask the Lord to minister to you tonight, just, just for God to speak to your heart about how to deal with that. Pray repentantly, but then he tells us to pray loyally. Look at verse 13. In verse 13, Jesus says, to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're willing to do that because you've done this for us. And do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Jesus says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And actually, that could be translated, deliver us from the evil one. Because we have an enemy, don't we? And he's fighting against our lives. Okay? Jesus says, do not lead us into temptation. What is that? What is temptation? Well, actually, the word that's used for temptation in the Bible can be translated two ways. It can be translated testing or trials, or it can be translated temptation. And really, the way we know how to translate it is by the context. Now, in this context, trials and tribulations and struggles in our life are not always the same as a temptation. What I mean by that? temptations are things that come in our life that are for the purpose of drawing us away from God, right? Sometimes we have things in our lives that are difficult, but the purpose is God didn't send that into our life to draw us away from him. He, drew, he, he brought it into our life to strengthen us. Whereas the enemy brings things in our lives not to draw us closer to God, but to do what? To move us away from God. In this context, what do you think it should be translated as? Doesn't sound like good things, does it? He says, do not lead us into, it should be translated, temptation. Do not lead us into anything. God, protect us. God, my heart is, would you keep me away from anything that would turn me away from you? And then he, he kind of reiterates that by saying, and deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. So what Jesus is saying is our prayer should be, God, I love you so much. I want to be loyal to you. I want to follow you. I want to stay close to you. God, I love you so much. Would you protect me from anything in my life that would draw me away from you? Isn't that a great thing to pray? I mean, wouldn't that be a great thing to start your day with? God, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for me to turn away from you today. Would you protect me from that? Would you keep me from evil? Would you help me to be paying attention? Would, you, would I not just be frolicking through life, just vulnerable and just opening myself up for attack? But God, would you help me to be focused? Would you be working in my life? Would you lead me? Would you speak to me? Would you keep me from anything that would turn me away from you? By the way, if I'm going to pray that, I need to ask myself, is there anything I'm allowing in my life that compromises that? Amen? God, what, this, what I think this is assuming is it's my heart that I don't want anything to turn me away from God. Okay, well, that kind of assumes I'm not going to consciously allow anything in my life that would turn me away from God, right? So I believe the Lord might challenge us tonight. If we're going to pray this prayer, it also causes us to kind of evaluate our lives, doesn't it? Am I allowing anything in my life? For, I'm asking God to keep me away from those things. Is there anything coming in our home? Is there anything going over our airways? Are there any places that we're going? Are there any people that we're hanging out with that, that God, we know that that is going to put us in a position to very likely turn ourselves against you? If I'm asking God to protect me from that, then I need to be asking myself, 
God, am I allowing any of those things into my life? Now, then the prayer closes with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail about this, but you'll notice that in some of your translations, that's in brackets. Does anybody notice that? That little phrase is in brackets. And I'm just going to try to give you a simple explanation. Basically, we have thousands of copies of God's word that all have amazing agreement with one another. But every once in a while, in copying, as the scribes were copying, there'd be different words that maybe you can imagine. Have you ever tried to just sit down tonight, go home and try to write a whole page? Take a book and try to transcribe the whole page. It would be very easy to write like um, Robbie went to the store today. Can't you imagine it would be easy to write Robbie went to the store store today? You know, write the same word twice. So they find as they study the manuscripts that sometimes there's words or phrases that are found in some and not in others. This phrase here, the reason it's in brackets, is because this phrase is found in more copies than it's not found in. But the earliest copies we have do not have it. So we're not totally for sure if that phrase was in the original copy of God's word. But it's not really a big deal because it doesn't change anything significant, does it? What's that verse say? It says, God, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then, man, they just break out into praise. For yours is the kingdom and the power. That's, that's sounding pretty loyal again, isn't it? For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. And everybody said, amen. All right. Now, that's the end of the prayer itself. <clears throat> but you remember, as we started studying this prayer, we actually backed up a few verses and we said, You know, there's some teaching that Jesus gives before the prayer in this passage about prayer. But also, when you look at the the parallel passage in Luke chapter 11, because that's the other place in God's word that the Lord's prayer is actually written out. When you look at that passage, Jesus actually gives some teaching after the Lord's prayer. So we want to look at that tonight because Jesus teaches us something very important. He teaches us to pray persistently. Let's look at Luke 15. Turn over there with me. Luke 15, I mean chapter 11, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. Now, after giving the Lord's Prayer, you'll see there in verses 1 through 4, it says in verse 5, Then he, Jesus, said to them, he's talking about prayer, still talking about prayer. He says, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. He's talking about three loaves of bread there. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Okay, so this guy comes. He says, hey, I got some surprise company. It's late at night. We don't have any food. Do you have any food? Do you have a couple of loaves of bread I can borrow? The guy's like, look, we're in bed. It's midnight. What are you doing out, buddy? Go to bed. We'll give you some bread in the morning. All right, and that's just kind of my version. All right, in verse 8, he says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, even if he's a friend, he's going to be like, look, go home. All right, we'll talk in the morning. He says he wouldn't do it just because he's a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, now Jesus is going to tie it together about prayer. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. In these verses, Jesus challenges us to be more persistent in our prayer life. 
I want you to notice, especially verse 8. In verse 8, it says, okay, this guy comes, he asks his friend for some bread, and then it says in verse 8, I tell you, Jesus says, listen, this, is, is, is this not true? Even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Why did the guy get out of bed and give his friend some food? Now, what would you think if I ask you, have you ever heard of shameless prayer? You ever heard of that before? Shameless prayer. Now, usually I wouldn't put those two words together, would you? Prayer sounds good and shameless doesn't, right? Well, shameless prayer? Why did the guy get out of his bed to give his friend some bread? In my translation, in the New American Standard Version, it says because of his persistence. But did you know, some of your older translations, uh, what do they say, King James or New King James? Because of his what? His boldness, okay. Because of his, the uh, old King James says because of his importunity. And I don't know about you, but I don't use importunity a lot. Okay. <laughs> Way to be importunist, right? <laughs> You know what the word actually means? The word can actually, one translation says, because of his shameless audacity. And that's not a stretch, but you say, yeah, that's one of those versions that, you know, like make it like really cool. No, that other translations say, because of his shameless persistence. Now, here's the thing. Somebody said boldness, okay? Other versions give the idea of boldness, of brashness, of immodesty, of disrespect, of basically beyond the cultural norm. What that word is talking about, it was overboard. It was too much to ask anybody. It was beyond the normal range of expectation. It was almost to the point of embarrassment. Okay, what it's saying is, he goes to his friend's house. His friend says, look, buddy, you know, can you come back tomorrow? We're, we're tired. We're in bed already. I don't wake everybody up. Dogs start barking. You know, we, we, please, could, could you just, could you come back tomorrow? No. <laughs> what am I going to do with this guy? Okay. I mean, I can't believe this. I mean, you, most people, if you say it's a little bit late, do you mind coming back tomorrow? Most people would say what? Oh, I'm so sorry. Hope I didn't bother you. We'll see you tomorrow. This guy saying, good grief, can't he get a hint? I guess he's not going to go away unless I give him some bread. In that sense, the word is persistence. But what I want you to see is, don't miss this, friends. God is talking about passionate persistence. It is persistence with reckless abandon. It is a determination that I will not give up. It reminds me of Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, verse 26. Remember that? When he prayed, we talked about that a few, a little while back, a couple of months ago. He grabbed hold of God in a sense. The angel of the Lord came and met with him there. He grabbed hold of the Lord. He said, I'm not letting you go. That's kind of bold, isn't it? Say to God. The point that we're trying to get to is, does that describe your prayer life? Are you determined to meet with God? Now listen, and are there some things that you believe God has put on your heart and you refuse to let it go? You refuse to give up because you are convinced that it's something God wants to do 
And even though the circumstances around you aren't really supporting that, I refuse to let go. I'm grabbing hold of this, and God, I'm not going to be quiet about it. I'm going to keep coming to you about this thing. That is pretty bold, isn't it? Now, certainly, there are times when God would say to us what? Enough about that. Right? Move on. You've prayed about that. You've prayed about it. The Apostle Paul talks about it. He says, I asked the Lord three times to remove this problem in my life. And finally, the Lord just said to me, hey, Paul, just deal with it. With my help, deal with it. I'm not getting rid of it. God says that sometimes, right? Just move on. Accept what I've given you. That's not my will, what you're praying for. Let it go. Quit pursuing that. But here's the difference here. When we know that God wants to do something, to the best of our abilities, we're walking with him. What we're saying is, Lord, I think I've got a hold on your heart. I think I understand what you're trying to say. And I want you to know that I am as passionate about this as you are. And no matter what the circumstances around me, I will not give up. That's not being brash and telling God what he's going to do, okay? Because we ain't doing that, amen? Okay? That's saying, God, I think I know your heart. And even though the circumstances around me don't look like they back up that I should pray for this or trust you for this, I am going to. Amen? Let me give you some examples. Hey, you know what? Did you know we have four services here at New Hope? It's kind of starting to look like we need a little more space. Amen? When I pray for God to give us more space, I'm not wondering, hmm, I wonder if this is what God wants. I'm convinced. Amen? God is working in people's lives. He's bringing us more people. Our ministries are growing. Hey, guess what? I'm just, and I don't know exactly, I'm not going to be so bold as to say I know exactly what that means. I mean, we have a pretty good idea. We've prayed about that. We've been through all these things. But you know what? I know this. God is going to provide for us. Amen? I've grabbed hold and I ain't letting go. How about you? Because it's his will. It's what God wants. God wants to reach more people. So I'm just trusting. All right, God, we ain't letting go. For many of us individually, how about your job situation? Hmm, let me pray about it. Do I need a job? I wonder if I should keep asking God about that. God, I trust you, and I am not giving up. I am going to continue bringing this to you. I'm going to continue trusting you. I am not letting go. Amen? How about your spouse? How about your children? How about your relationship with them? If that's not right today, well, oh, well. Sorry, I tried for a few months. Just deal with it. No, no. My spouse, my kids, we're for life. Amen? If it ain't right, it's going to have to be sometime. God, help me. And I am not letting go. I'm going to keep coming to you. I love you. I trust you. God, I am not giving up on this one. Let me give you another one. If there is somebody in your life that you would love to see come to know Jesus as their Savior. You know what? I'm just going to tell you, I don't know if this is right or not, but it sounds a lot more like Jesus' heart than the alternative. Here's what I think. If God has put someone in my life, if someone is in my family, if someone's one of my friends, if someone is close to my life, if I have influence on somebody's life, somebody that I care about and I I would love to see come to know Jesus as their Savior, I cannot guarantee you that they're going to come to Christ, but I'm not accepting anything else. Are you hearing me? God, you put them in my family for a reason. 
And you know I pray. And so I'm just going to trust you got them here because you wanted them to come to know you. Done deal, amen? I don't know for sure. I cannot categorically say it's a done deal. But that's all I'm going to accept. Amen? Have you ever heard of George Mueller? Many great stories of prayer come out of this man's life. But I've heard the story many times that he prayed over 50 years for someone's salvation. For someone he knew and cared about to come to know the Lord. And he did not see it in his lifetime, but not long after George Mueller died, that person gave their life to Christ. 50 years? I pray that that encourages somebody here tonight. You feel like it's been 50 years, amen? (laughs) Don't give up. Giving up, giving in is not an option. No matter what, I will not quit seeking God about this one. Amen? James chapter 5, verse 16. I'm going, to trans- I'm going to give it a little bit different translation. Some of you have heard, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Okay, that's the old King James. The energetic, hardworking prayer of a godly person is very strong. That's actually an appropriate translation. The hardworking, energetic prayer of a godly person is very strong. I like that. How about you? Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 18 is another example, just like we're talking about here, of shameless praying. Jesus says in that verse, in those verses, he is looking for people like that. Now, guys, I got to tell you something. To be honest with you, this is something I'm not strong in. Persistent prayer. And part of it, I think, is an over-response to a struggle I used to have. I used to have a struggle with worrying. I've switched so far in the other direction. Shannon sometimes says, you should be worrying, you know. <laughs> but I used to I used to worry. I'd lay in bed, and that was the first time all day I'd sat still, and I'd start thinking. Anybody like that? I'd start thinking. Man, I'd have a little sticky notes falling out. I'd turn the light on and write a note. I can't forget that. I said, God, I, this is driving me nuts. God, I want to rest. Lord, if it's important enough, will you remind me first thing in the morning? <laughs> I've never forgotten anything. If I did, I don't remember. <laughs> now, the problem with that is I went so far in that direction. Here, and some of you may, I went so far in that direction, I just trust the Lord. When I pray about it, I give it to Him and I move on. Say, God, I gave it to you, but that's not right. Okay? I'm glad you trust the Lord, but God says we're supposed to pray about things. And we should be persistent. I don't know all that goes into that, but God wants us to partner with him in prayer. The other part of it may just be laziness on my part. I mean, I give up way too easy. How about you? God needs to speak to us. Let me ask you this. Would you describe your prayer life? Could it be described as a determined, even shameless pursuit of God? I don't even care what anybody thinks. I am chasing after God. Isn't that powerful? I hope that could be said. It's not right now. That's what I want to move towards. How about you? As we close out those thoughts and even this message and even this series, I want to share something with you. I don't want to be over dramatic, but I do sense the need to share something with you that's a little bit more big picture. I have shared with you during this series that I believe God is calling us to get serious about prayer. Can I share something with you? Again, I don't, I don't mean to be overdramatic, but I believe that maybe 
what God is doing in and through our church and what God is doing across our area and our region may be a part of answering some prayers as far back as the 17 or 1800s. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Did you know, listen to this, in the early 1700s, as this area and our country was being established, did you know that there was something that historians call a great awakening that swept across our country? And did you know that New England, the Northeast, was a huge factor in that? Right where we live. Did you know that just a little while after that, in the 1800s, there was a second great awakening? And actually, its primary focus was, guess where? Upstate New York. Now, that was mostly central New York and western New York, but it was still right here, wasn't it? It was our, it was our, our neck of the woods. Did you know that during that time, the cry of the Christians and their heart of the churches, they had a motto, and their motto was North America for Christ. They were so passionate about Jesus and and our country, our new fledgling country, knowing the Lord, that that had an impact all over our country. But did you know today that as far as we can tell, only 2 to 3% of the people across the Northeast claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I want to ask you to think about something with me. I wonder... If those people in the 1700s and the 1800s, I wonder if they prayed that the Northeast would be a place where God was always known and shared and loved and taken around the world from this place. What do you think? I have a feeling that's what they prayed for. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. I wonder if they prayed that. And I wonder, though we've turned far away from God, if God is calling us to be a part are bringing us back to home, to where we started from. Isn't that cool? Again, I don't mean to be overdramatic, but I believe with all my heart that may very well be true, but it will not happen but by prayer. You know what? That may be a little bit too dramatic for you, a little too, wow, Pastor Robbie, you know, I can't handle, you know, 300-year region-wide. You know how it started 300 years ago? One person at a time. So look, you don't have to be responsible for a region being changed. But you are responsible for what God's going to do in your life. And if I let him work in my life, and you let him work in your life, and a bunch of other people let him work in their lives, maybe we could see a whole region transformed for Jesus Christ. And you know, I just wonder, since our nation started right here, didn't it? I wonder if God might want to do that here so that we could be a part of transforming a nation again. Actually, you know what? New York City touches the whole world. Isn't it amazing that we are a part of an area that could touch the nation, even the world? Again, I don't know if God wants to do that, but I do know he wants to do it in your heart. And I want to ask you tonight, is God calling you to prayer? Do you sense that? You know what, maybe you're like me. I haven't made near as much progress in the last three or four weeks as I want to. But I am listening to the Lord. How about you? God, I hear what you're saying. And I'm not going to let it go. Amen?
I want to ask you, if you're a Christian here tonight, would you just say to the Lord, Lord, I hear your voice speaking to me. Show me what it is you want me to do. And tonight, I wonder if there's some people just like Leanne and Mindy tonight. There was a time in their life when God spoke to them. They heard that call and they gave their life to him. I wonder if tonight God brought you here to see and to hear their story because he wanted to say to you, that's what I want to do in your life. Maybe there's a young mom just like them that God is speaking to your heart tonight. Would you give your life to Jesus Christ? It's very simple. It's just saying, God, it starts with prayer. God, I believe that you died for me, that you rose again. I know that I'm a sinner, that I need you to forgive me, and I invite you to come into my life. I want to give my life to you. I want to stop living my way, and I want to give my life to you. Would you do that tonight? Let's bow for just a moment as we close out the service tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank you for speaking to us about prayer over these last few weeks. I thank you that you're putting on our hearts to continue to think about this area of our lives and our walk with you. And I just pray that right now, that our hearts will be open. That there just be a time of prayer, a time of communication, just you speaking to us and us responding back to you, whatever you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Jeff's going to play a closing song for us. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand together with me to sing. But as we sing that song, I want to ask you, why has God brought you here today? What is the message that he had for you? Maybe you've been here for every message we've been through in this series. And God has been wanting to do something in your life. And now's the time as we're kind of closing this up. God, I hear you. I'm responding to you. Maybe this is your first time ever here at New Hope. But God has got your attention. And he's wanting to do something in your heart tonight. Would you trust him?